And now, the Andy Greenwald Podcast. Andy, Andy. Welcome to the Grantland Network. My name is Andy Greenwald. It is an exciting day here in the New York City studio because my guest is a musician whose music I have loved and admired for a long time. He has a new solo album, The Desired Effect, which is being released on my birthday, basically, May 19th, on Island Records. Brandon Flowers, welcome. Basically on your birthday? Well, May 19th is my birthday, but May 18th, as we discussed briefly before recording, is when it's out in England, and I didn't want to get, like, happy birthday messages from all, you know, my fans in England. Okay. It was really about that. Um, How are you? Pretty good. How's it going? Pretty well. Pretty well, thanks. I want to talk to you about the solo album that I am a huge fan of, but I did want to begin because you're here in New York. Uh, We're recording this in mid-April, and last night you participated in a Frank Sinatra tribute benefit. What was this event? It well, I think it was sort of based around the Tribeca Film Festival, right? And they made a, an event out of he would have been a hundred this year, and so they started off with with one of his films, and then a, and then we had a few performances of some of his songs, and I got to be a part of it, and it was great. What song did you sing? So I sang two songs. Uh, one's called "The House I Live In," yeah, and the other one is "Come Fly with Me." These are not minor songs. These are not unknown numbers was it intimidating to take them on and you said you had a big band behind you yeah it was the first time i'd I'd sung with a big band sang or sung i'm gonna let you're the guest sung sung yeah and uh and that was uh, you know it was a i was a little bit nervous about it but it ended up being you know going off without a hitch i saw a photo of you with tony bennett from this event yes how how was that you you both looked very young in the photo, I must the say. The first time, the first time I met Tony was at a GQ Men, Men of the Year Awards in in England. This is already awesome because you can call him Tony. This yeah. means you've met him. No, before. no, I met him in the bathroom. <laughs> no, I didn't. I'm not one of the weirdos that, that tried to shake his hand or anything, or I, or even say anything. But we stood next to each other. Um, you mean you stood next to each other? <laughs> we stood, stood next, next to each other. To each other. <laughs> and so he doesn't remember, but I remember. Maybe he does. Maybe I don't think he does. I didn't bring it up. But and you didn't follow him into met, that bathroom. No, we met. No, I was in there. He came in after. So it's his fault. Yeah. So, uh, but we officially met and shook hands last night, and that was a treat. And what what did he? What did you guys talk about? Did you talk about? I mean, this is a guy who knew the man himself. Yeah, we did. I didn't want to bother him too much. And De Niro was there, and they sort of like got into. They they were you know they paired up. They were doing their thing, and I let them do their thing. That's probably why we just you know we all just gawked. It's like across the room. You can't get involved in that kind of conversation. (laughs) It's serious business. Were you a fan of uh, Sinatra's music growing up? Were you a fan of that era of of singing and performing? I have a different relationship to it, I think, than a lot of people. Maybe because I'm from Las Vegas. Yes. I mean, if you go to a gas station or a grocery store and something, there are pictures of these people. Yeah. Just like, they, they really are. People yeah. don't believe me. We have in every 7-Eleven and every, you know, convenience store, there's a row of slot machines. Yeah. And there tends to be like Rat Pack pictures and things like that, too. It's not like this <clears throat> was Joey Bishop's favorite sitco. It doesn't like claim it. No, no, no. Direct. Nothing like that. But it just, it's just, they're, they're, they're everywhere. I feel like his spirit is, is still alive and well there. It's just part of the fabric of, of living yeah, there. Yeah. And so uh, my family moved out when I was eight or nine. We mm-hmm. moved to a really small town in Utah. Mm-hmm. And I never, I appreciate it now, that, that, that sort of 
important phase in my life and like that, what, you know, formative years of my life being in this small town. I right. do appreciate that. But I always sort of longed for Las Vegas. And so even though I was listening to all these new wave records that I got from my brother or alternative records, whatever you want to call them, um, I did have things like uh, Sinatra's, you know, the main event. And when I would listen to that, I I would be transported back to where my heart was, which is Las Vegas. That's that's so nice. So it wasn't like an affectation for you. It was like a memory. It was nostalgia. Yeah, it was and it just reminded me of that, that is the spirit of it. And, and, you know, the sort of the golden age of Las Vegas. But there's also an element of it that I can sort of trace through your performances and through your work with the Killers that... This what Sinatra was doing is very. Let's put it this way: what Sinatra was doing is very different from what, say, like Bernard Sumner was doing with New Order in terms yeah. of singing a song. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's really about performing and delivering and 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 you know mm-hmm. getting the message to the people in the very back row. Yeah. And nuance with nuance on each lyric and telling a story. That's, right, That's yeah. a different kind of thing. So, do you think you were able to integrate those two narratives? I think so. We sort of. Cra- I was doing an interview the other day, and we sort of figured it out. <laughs> oh, good. Okay, I'm happy to steal from that fir- guy's interview. It was the first time that we. I've sort of understood. I think there's a very British way of doing things, and there's an American way of doing yeah. things. And I think what makes the Killers and maybe myself a little bit different than everyone else is is this blend of these two things. Totally. And these the storytelling and and getting those stories across with this aesthetic that maybe we picked up from from Brit, from Britain. I want to talk about that because like you I grew up pouring over like enemy and buying a lot of import yeah. spending way too much money money I didn't have on like import CDs of my favorite bands. Um and it cre- there was something about the music that was coming from a place that I'd never been that made it sound more magical and seem like yeah. more important and yeah. I you mentioned that your your brother might have been your music Sherpa, but I was wondering how these records got to you, how they how you heard them being so far away. Yeah, no, that's it. So somehow my brother could tell you exactly how he, he got into it. I forget what it was. Is, is he much older? Or? 12 years older, yeah. Oh, okay. So he was sort of in the perfect spot. So yeah. he was like, he graduated high school in 1987. and so, so He lived a John Hughes movie. Yeah. In my mind, he did. <laughs> in his <laughs> mind, maybe not. And so when CDs started getting... Uh, popular in what you know what is it early 90s mid 90s yeah. mid 90s he would you know so he goes and buys new order substance on cd and then i get new order substance cassette oh because he, he upgraded and you yeah. got his hand-me-downs so he buys the smith's queen is dead i get the cassette and it's just that that happened one this at a time hard. until i had you know 20 or 30 you know records and that became my identity and like you said i had the same thing where I totally romanticized Manchester yeah. and and London, and you know I had this. I built it up. I built it up to a place where it couldn't live up to what I what I built it up to. That's the thing that I always come up against. Like to I guess to people like us, you hear Manchester and you think the most romantic and possible <laughs> thoughts, like all night raves and glamorous people and music just like pouring from the water taps. Yeah, but that's not how people in England think of Manchester. That's not yeah. the reputation. And it's not when you go there. You know, you right? Just, it's just it's over. You know, it's like did you it's go just another place? Yeah, I know. I went to Hacienda some of the landmarks. Or... And there's a you know the Salford Lads Club, right? There's a famous you know Smith's Monuments, um, the Holy. You know we do a gig, we did a gig, and right across the street from you know the Holy Name Church, which you know he references in the Cemetery Gates, and those things were <clears throat> really exciting. 
Yeah. It was so that there were there were there were you know it wasn't all let down, but it was, <laughs> it was a disappointment. But it, you know, I, it couldn't. Nothing could have lived up to the way that we imagined it from thousands of miles away. I'm wondering if there was ever a point though that I mean, did it stay magical all the way through your visit there, or was there a point when maybe you made the connection that the people making these songs, making this music that sounded so transporting, were really like writing themselves into a different story? Like using their music as a way to become the glamorous people that they're writing about. Yeah, I think just the, and the more that I became, uh, you know, became comfortable in this role that I'm, you know, trying to to fulfill, uh, the more I I find similarities with some of those people, and then I just everything just loses a little bit of magic along uh, the way. I uh, guess eventually. Yeah. Um, did how did your fandom translate from fandom into actually, as you said, trying to do this thing that you're doing? Uh, that took a little bit longer for me than it, than it takes other people. You think? I'm still struggling with it. They're big shoes to fill, yeah. you know? Um, there's just been so much great music and so many great performers in the past 50, 60 years. And it, I found it really hard and I still find it really hard to consider myself, um, worthy to step into that, you know, that spotlight. But even just taking the first step is, I would imagine, the hardest part. I mean, listening to these tapes on... I'm picturing a Walkman right now. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, no, did, no Walkman. No, but, just boob, but they walking around with a boombox? Like no, just Lloyd in Dobler? my bedroom or in the car, like, you know. Oh, okay. So it's a little less, a little less uh, isolated. Another weird thing about it was my parents, um, they went through all this music with my brother. And right. then they had this, like resurgence of it later on with this with another child with me and of it was weird for me because they knew these songs oh no did that ruin and it it's not cool you know but somehow oh. we made it through but my like you know my mom would be doing the dishes and singing there's a light that never goes out <laughs> no. and it's like what temptation plays and your father's it's like so oh the 12 weird. inch version yeah, is better it's so weird you know i can't i feel or like i that. got a job i mean when i got a job i got a job at a place called taco time uh-huh and let me guess what they sell. Well, yeah, and it's like a, I don't know if it's nicer than Taco Bell, but a little bit more, a little nicer than Taco it's Bell. A, right. It's an upscale talk, Taco Bell. And my, when I got the job, my mom saying, heaven knows I'm miserable now to me. <laughs> like she knew that reference. I was looking for a job and I found a job and heaven knows I'm miserable. Now. And I was like, I don't know if I love this or hate, hate this. Did it send you runs? Did you, didn't you run screaming in the other direction? Like immediately find music that they wouldn't like? That's usually the point. Yeah, right? it was tough. That was a weird, it was a weird time. Wow. Maybe that's why you needed Sinatra to like really show them. <laughs> yeah. Just rebel in the sort of the opposite way. Um, this idea though, I, one of the things that I've always loved about your music is that I feel like all of the best killer songs and certainly a lot of the songs on this great new solo record really celebrate the idea of um, the mythology of a place being in some ways as valuable as the reality. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, um, you sing about, um, this is something I could point to in like Dustland Fairy Tale mm -hmm. or, or Lonelyville, which, well, Lonely Town, sorry, yeah. which might be my favorite song in the new record. Um, places seem, you're, you're imbuing ordinary places, places that you can probably yeah. tell me where to find on a map with this sort of the majesty of, of songs and of rock and roll. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder if if can you do you connect that to that what we were talking about with the importing stuff from England or is it more directly related to Las Vegas as kind of a magical place that can be seedy or be magical depending yeah. on where the light's hitting is? I think I always had those leanings, and it wasn't until later on, um, 
that were, when I, you know, in my mid twenties, I st- sort of started falling in love with Americana mm-hmm. and got into that stuff. That it seemed like it made it more. I don't know. It made it more okay for me. I felt like like it was okay for me to do that then. I don't know why, but I think I've always sort of done it. Right. Yeah. Uh, I like it. You know, the world is getting with the internet now and the universe being so intertwined and starting to homogenize. I like the idea of this, you know, the localness of where I'm from and and holding on to some of those things. And I don't know. So, yeah, so maybe that I think some of that stuff maybe comes through in the the specificity of it, too. Like, this is really a place, but Mm -hmm. let me make it bigger for you. Yeah, and try to let you in. A little bit. I'm trying. I am trying. That's. I guess that's my goal. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes uh, I'm successful, and sometimes I'm not. Right. Well, so is everybody, <laughs> I guess. Um, one other thing that I was noticing as a through line on this record on Desired Effect is that you often sing about work, like people mm-hmm. going, getting, you know, waking up in the morning, doing a job, mm-hmm. um, clocking out of a job, going back to the job, hating the job. Yeah. That seems to me to be mostly out of fashion. People don't really sing about people who work maybe because it's divorced from their own experience once you hit a tour yeah. bus level or not um why is that important to you to continue to to yeah, sort of narrate I, those stories i think i don't feel that far removed from it um sometimes you see a person's name on a record or up on a billboard and you can forget that they are normal and have you know parents and yeah i wasn't born in a sequence jacket uh, weren't <laughs> so my dad uh, I come from a working class family, and I still have my my brother in laws and and my you know my family, and I see the, you know, I'm able to, to observe, I think, the struggles and and the peaks and the troughs, just like everybody else, and and I guess I try to stay in touch with that and try to I I feel like I can represent that somehow still I think a part of me. But when your brother-in-law throws a barbecue, you wear a sequin jacket, right? No, you no. don't. There's a big, there's a strong separation uh, of uh, stage and home life. Do you keep the clothes in separate closets, like the Bat Cave? Like you it's go not down even and... there. I don't even. Say, yeah, it's not. It's, it's not even in the house. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> you just keep it's it that stuff. separately. Yeah, that's probably wise. Um, but yeah, when you're talking about still feeling close to it, a lot of these songs seem to me like to have a, an almost sliding doors feeling. You know that movie where there's a sense. There's a sense I often feel from your songs that you feel like if something had just broken a little bit differently, oh, yeah. no, you could be that person. Yeah, you could be no, still that's in that me. Life. I mean, my goal and I mean, my goal was to be a valet Parker at Caesar's Palace or or the Bellagio or you know that for me would have been sequin jackets probably. No, but that for me would have been that was the end game. Like, yeah. That was like if I can get juiced in. To the Blasio by my Uncle Greg, I'm like, <laughs> I'm you did it. Set. You're done. Yeah, and you know my and and it wasn't that. I don't know. This just didn't seem like a possibility, and so it was. So yeah, I do feel, I feel that connection. As I mentioned, this, you know, I guess a specific place in Henderson is this is a, you know, the lifeline of Henderson where I'm from is this chemical plant that I mentioned in the way it's always been on this mm-hmm. new record. And that's where my dad worked, and that's where uh, my two brother-in-laws and three uncles, and and so you know that that was sort of it's always been in and out of of my life, and yeah, I mean I could have been there just as easily. So I do, I you know I think about it when I drive by. But also the the first song on the record is uh, "Dreams Come True," and and you know that could be autobiographical about you know 
the musician the musical career that you've had but mm-hmm. in within the context of the song it seems much more humble in terms of a you know the, a person's dream in their life and the person that they're sharing it with it's it's not a global professional dream it seems much more lower scale and personal yeah and I sometimes listen to that. It's funny how it can take on different meanings. Some, yeah. night, some nights that song, I, sometimes when I'm singing Dreams Come True, I feel like I'm being sarcastic. Really? Yeah. yeah. So, oh, right, because so, the lines on that song yeah. about punching the clock in the nightstand, and yeah. you're still stuck in it. You're working at the yeah, plant, yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. It could go either way. Um, there's that There's the other character in Lonely Town who says they thought things would change, but but they never did. And it's... It's, there's it's, a it's, great, it's a gut punch, man. Yeah. Well, you know, there's something that you realize you grow up and you think... There's going to be some barrier where things change a little, and right, and you just assume that that's what happens when you become an adult. A, f- a switch gets flipped. Yeah, and and things. I don't know that everyone's worldview is going to change, or we're going to all act diff- somehow differently, or more. I don't know. It's not that not more refined or anything. Just something seems like it's going to be different, and it isn't different. You're always going to be the guys that they, the, the, you know, pretty much the person that you are in middle school. Yeah. I mean, these people could possibly be, you know, your boss one day, and they're still going to be that that person. It's yeah. really strange to wrap your head around. I'm not the greatest at, um, I guess, expressing it. I guess that's why I write about it. But, yeah, it's it's weird. Well, there's a searching, like, in all of these songs, you know, that, that it, this is not – the thing about this album, it doesn't strike me as a – it's not like you're taking a vacation from your day job and you're looking, you know, feeling triumphal about where you are. It's still searching. There seems mm-hmm. to be something that is still motivating you to keep trying different things, to keep trying to get the right angle on the story or to express it – find the right way to express it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's always – it's healthy to just keep keep looking and keep trying to evolve. And if you can find a better way and a more concise way to – to do it that's ideal but you're driven i mean you, the band is taking a break the band is not over but yet you went right back to work i always am writing so it's just it's it's really just that's it it's sort of um logistically better for me to make these solo records because if we take a long break i'm just going to have a lot of songs yeah that i want to show and and that's the other guys just don't, you know, <laughs> just, they, they don't, don't need be, it. They don't want to be overwhelmed by that. They don't need that in their life. <laughs> it's better. We're at our best when we're collaborating and everybody's happiest when there's a true collaboration and we all chip in. Right. You don't come in with this backlog and just yeah. dump it on the table yeah. and say, okay. Yeah. Um, how did you get hooked up with Ariel Reichstadt? Because he, I think his work is evident on the record, but I'd like to talk to you about what that even means. Yeah. My buddy Benji, have you heard of Cass McCombs? My, yeah. My buddy Benji played, um, I think on a couple of those records Mm -hmm. and then he i heard this we were on tour in australia and i heard the vampire weekend Mm -hmm. and stuff and then i heard heim and so his his name just kept coming up and benji had told me that that i should meet him and so we just we had a phone conversation and then we met up and he came and i played him you know a bunch of demos one night and we just decided to which ones he liked the most and i said you know okay let's start it up is there a moment, though? In, I mean, that's a pretty intimate collaboration. I mean, these are songs that you've been working on. Your name is going to be on the record, and mm-hmm. you're asking someone to help you guide and shape them. Is there a moment where he says something or makes a reference where you're like, okay, he gets it, or is it more um, gradual than that, the trust? It's gradual. No, I mean, it's you sort of have to put a lot of faith in a producer, and they're either going to deliver or not. And I'm lucky because if it wasn't working, I'm I mean I, I would be able to you know go elsewhere or whatever. Right. And but it was evident right away um, 
uh, on the first song that he produced that he, you know, he was the guy. What was, was the first song? Still Want You mm-hmm. was his favorite of all the demos. And it, it wasn't crazy different, but he, you know, once he really put his stamp on it, I knew um, that this was a direction that I was wanted to head down. The thing that, that he seems to bring to records, and, and certainly to your record, and this is a very, like, layman's version of what it probably involves, but I feel like the record has real texture. You know, like, the, uh, there's such a beautiful song on the record called um, Between Me and You, mm-hmm. and you can f- feel the weight of the piano keys being pressed down. It feels very lived in and organic and... And that's not to say that what he's doing is making it sound like a like an old vinyl record, because there are really interesting little squiggles of you know of synthesizers or of a, a moment where your voice sort of auto tunes off. Yeah, but they accomplish the same effect. They make it feel like a like there's someone in there thinking about these choices. Yeah, um, there's a great. It's great to have real people playing, and not that there's not real people playing on other records, but there's just we were just bringing in you know. Sort of all the heavy hitters, uh, and letting them do their thing, mm-hmm. and it's cool because you just—I'm going to steal an analogy from Daniel Lanois, where you're—it's so, like walking down the street, and you've got somebody, you know, and so many people are walking towards you or with you, and everybody's got to sort of maneuver around each other to make this to get to where we want to yep. go without crashing into each other. Yeah. And so along the way through the song, that's what all these, these things that you're talking about are happening. We're t- t- we're on this song, it's great because you've got Tony Levin who's playing some great bass parts. And it's it's kind of crazy. Yeah, and, and Hornsby's playing. Yeah, that's, that's Hornsby, right? Yeah, I mean. and, and it's like, and everybody's trying, you know, doing that and working around each other. And, uh, and it's it's beautiful when it works. One thing I'm always struck by with my favorite songs by you is that often when I hear them, I think, oh, this this sounds like one of my favorite songs, X song, Y song, mm-hmm. my favorite artist. He must like that person, too, or he mm-hmm. must know that song. I, if I press pause or stop and I go and revisit that song, I realize that your song doesn't sound anything like that song in a literal sense. It's a spirit. You sound like the memory, the way it <laughs> exists in my mind. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, No, that's a good thing because I hate people that steal. Right. It's not stealing. <laughs> I don't steal. But what is it? How are you? How are you? Surfing on those spirit. vibes. It's the spirit. Yeah. It's what it is. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it, I think it's just maybe it's trying to stay true to a certain, I don't know, you know, committing to a certain road that you're going down, and maybe I, I have a lot of the same, um, or I'm just listening to the same stuff that you are, or, or whatever it but is. When you, but when you sit down, when you when you have the first the first inklings of a song it just comes to you do you ever begin with just that vibe or is it more often a more specific melody or lyric like i want to i want to write something about the way i f- this song has made me feel mm. or this moment has made me feel or is it much more literal than that no it's different every time okay you're just waiting for it well, a song like between me and you is the first time i had it mapped out though where i knew what the story was going to be before i sat down at a piano or picked up a guitar or whatever mm-hmm. it was and that was a a great experience for me. Um, just it felt it was a great victory for me <laughs> because I had this thing yeah. and I knew that it was important and I really wanted to tackle it. And then, but what if when I do it, the song doesn't turn out? And it, but it ended up turning out. And I think it's my favorite one on the record. Yeah, it's an amazing song. Um, I've, I've been thinking a lot recently about another song. Um, I think it was on Day and Age called uh, "This Is Your Life," mm-hmm. and. I think about that song constantly because it, the way that you've recorded that song, the way it sounds, 
makes me feel like childhood in a way, my childhood, which I know you didn't have. Um, (laughs) You didn't steal that. But there's something – I know I'm talking about something that is impossible to talk about. That's why you wrote the song. But there's there's like a a goosebump-giving vibe to it that makes me feel Mm -hmm. like the way radio sounded in my mind when I couldn't really have been listening to the radio, to my uncle's records maybe, or like driving to swimming pool. You know, there's there's something to that. Mm -hmm. Are you chasing similar – Feelings? I think so, definitely. No, there's always a sense of nostalgia. Yeah. And, yeah, that. Uh, but that, yeah, we stopped playing that one on the last tour so much. We need to bring that one back. Yeah. You, I think a lot of people f- share that feeling with you. You, you played it at, uh, I saw you guys at Webster Hall right before uh, the Battleborn cycle. Do we do? Yeah, 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 that was, was like, exciting. that was one of the first gigs. Uh, maybe it was the first Battleborn gig. Yeah, I think it was. And I remember just... That it was a great gig. I do remember that. It was. I mean, <laughs> you guys put on a great show, and that seems to be important to you. I mean, when you're, when you're doing yeah. a solo show as well. And the thing that I, I walked out of that show thinking about, and I wrote about this for Granlin at the time, it felt like a greatest hits show because all of the songs you played were hits. Whether they were like top 10 Billboard, that yeah. doesn't matter. But they were just great songs that had care had been put into them and thought had been put into them yeah. and how they would be performed live. And that's something that one doesn't always get in a show, and it seems to be a priority for you. Yeah. I mean, it's a, I think we're, we're people pleasers in that sense. <laughs> right. There are people that, you know, shy away from a, a yeah. really big song and lean on their deeper cuts. And we, do, you know, we're not afraid to play them, and we do... We do Especially if there's a new record, and uh, we're we're always excited to play the new songs. Uh, but we're definitely going to play this. You know, people are paying their hard-earned money to come see yeah. you, and they want to see this song. Uh, that just doesn't make sense to me to withhold those songs that people love or or the songs that have resonated with people. Yeah, that's what they're excited to hear. Um, Here, I mean, everybody from Radiohead not playing Creep to New Order not playing Blue Monday. Yeah, it all just like it's like it's, I don't get it. Yeah, I mean it's. It, if Elvis, you know, if I saw Elvis, I want I, I, I want to hear Suspicious Minds. And so you know, <laughs> you better that, play it, Elvis. But you know, there's going to every killer show you ever play is going to be Mr. Brightside. You're going to play that song. And we've always played. Yeah, we've never not played. And it. Are you, you're okay with that. You've made peace with it. I'm totally happy with it. I'm thankful to be a part of it. Yeah. And I still get. Ex- I'm not bored of it. I'm not bored of it. Well, I mean, I'm not bored of that song. But <laughs> no. but it's is it ever interesting just to. To realize that, I mean, that was a song that was written from an aspirational place. You guys were not on a major label when you wrote that song. You were not headlining festivals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the song sort of took on a tone meaning where now mm-hmm. you can sing it from the other side of that. You know, everyone in the audience knows the words just as well as you do. Yeah. Uh, it's great. I mean, it's like I said, it's just uh, it's even bands, you know, that, that that make it and are successful aren't always lucky enough to have something like that. Right. Um or, or you know, we've had it with a few songs now, and it's just, um, it's just incredible. And I'm, it's like I said, yeah, I don't see any reason to withhold it. You mentioned before about how you know, because of the internet and other reasons, culture has gotten smaller, more intertwined, more homogenous. I feel like in many ways that's encouraged music and musicians to be more specific and more intimate. You can you can reach people without shouting, so you can just do your small thing, mm-hmm. stay in your small lane, and reach a certain number of people, mm-hmm. and maybe not outside of that. The one thing that I have always loved your music and love the Killers for is that you guys are ambitious and you construct songs mm-hmm. that sound really good turned really loud. Yeah. You know, and and I wonder 
where did this what happened to that ambition what happened to that in the in the spirit <laughs> of rock music you, you know you i'm not going to hold your answer as the only answer but i, I need mean help i have this. a decent answer oh bring it but i've talked about it and i get rid of a little bit of ridicule for it not in this not in this room <laughs> yeah, i say well, it all the time people too. that watch this grunge you think grunge killed it that's it I mean, that's that's the answer. I mean, that's, there's there's nothing, not, and I'm not saying there's anything yeah. wrong with grunge. No, I'm just saying that's what happened. But what's interesting is like you know, there's the new Kurt Cobain documentary that HBO is putting out called Montage of Heck, and like you realize that, and the reason they made it was because they wanted to show the person, not this legend, not this mm-hmm. doomed legend. And you have images of him basically being a guy who wanted his songs to be good, mm-hmm. who wanted his songs to be heard. Mm-hmm. You know, no, and, I don't. And, I'm not saying that he oh, set no. out to do it. Right, but I'm saying the spirit that informed those bands was no different than any other band it's just frustrating that then what they presented to the world became coded as the way to be cool yeah i mean it's just a a a totally different example would be um in my experience with bright eyes fans as a teenager yeah was not great yeah they took what he was offering yeah and applied it to their lives and were dickheads to everybody yeah, because it was a circle painted, pointed inwards. Like, we have this thing and we're now, huddled I, up. Naively, yeah. is that that's the right word? It is. Uh, assumed that Connor Oberst would have been the king of these people. <laughs> yeah. And much to my, like, astonishment, and it was a real growth, growing, you know, thing for me when I met him. Like, what a humble and nice person he is. Yeah. And he has... There's no reason for these people to be acting the way that they're acting. Yeah, <laughs> you know that that listen to that to that music, and it was a real awakening for me. Well, there's something about music, especially when you're a certain age, when you're like in your teenage years, where it's it's private and like you're self-defining, you know, and you define yourself by who listens to what and who yeah, doesn't. Yeah. It's kind of confrontational, but that you tend to grow out of that. Yeah, so I just think that happened on a really big scale. Yeah, in the '90s, and then it was tough to to, to sort of bounce back. But it's been a while now. I mean, and you guys had, you know, you had radio hits back when there was radio. I mean, these mm-hmm. things existed. You, you've, you've bridged this very strange time where there did seem to be a moment when your first record came out um, where there were there were some rock songs on the radio. Rock radio still kind of existed. And I feel like we're not in that era anymore. And it, and I'm eternally frustrated why why that is. And I, I don't there know There are why. some good bands, though. And sure. It, yes. Yeah, it's just a, there's just a tough... It's hard to find a home for them. I don't know if I have... I don't have the answer for it. I mean, every time we make a record, yeah. it just looks... It's more dire. The situation is just... Every time you know, we're talking to our manager, like, yeah. okay, what's, that, what's, what's happening like, with the radio? And it's like, you know, the rock... I mean, just every year, there's there's two or three less rock stations. Yeah. And it's it's strange. And and i miss the i miss the ambition i mean i feel like i don't i don't think there's anything wrong with artists like reaching really big and then failing in front of everyone yeah, and then I retreating think, i think it's hard too i think if you think about what i was talking about earlier with the, the five or six decades of really great music that came before it's tough to you know i think it's intimidating for yeah. i would be you know it's intimidating for a young person to just starting to, out to try to, yeah to try to go for that it really it really is i understand do you think there's um do you think that the grunge interrupted things not just in terms of perception but in terms of like influences? Because 
you know the the I, I read some 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 spicy things you said like a month ago to someone about you know hearing keyboard bands who just clearly had skipped listening to New Order. Yeah, or they just don't understand. They're they're just not listening uh, close enough or something. I don't know. I mean, the prescription is everyone should listen to more New Order, right? I mean, if that's well, the no, one takeaway, just it's just I mean, I mean, if that's what I'm just saying, I just hear a lot of sort of keyboard people, or I see a band that they say they what origin it is and, and it's described as synth pop and that to me is a very specific you know art form and there are people that have done it really well mm-hmm. and so you know if that's going to be your thing you should just i don't know i think you should just try to do better before I, you're making a record or whatever you're doing i feel like most people should try to do better i totally agree um you said uh a little while ago about how um you know that you said things are a little dire every time out, um, but we were also talking about how, you know, the divide between what you expect something to be and maybe the slight twinge of disappointment when it's not as magical and you and you actually see it. The, okay, sorry. No, you go ahead. I heard a song from this band called The Wild Nothings, who I'd never heard. Yeah. And I was in the elevator yesterday, and I looked it up, and it's called Chinatown. Uh-huh. It's a great song. It's a great song. Okay. <laughs> oh, you want to say something good. Like, that's, like yeah, that's something. a good one. <laughs> that's good. It's not all negative. But I'm wondering, like, if you feel a little bit on where you are on your journey because... I, I, you must have dreamed, maybe this was the impossible dream, like six dreams past being the valet. Yeah. Playing Glastonbury or playing these magical places. If it ever crossed your mind, maybe the first time you picked up a guitar or stood in front of a microphone, mm-hmm. you've done that now. You've played these festivals. Mm-hmm. When they're happening, when you're doing those big things, are you in the moment? Are you like, this is this is great, this is my dream? Or are you <laughs> already like, oh, the, the in-ear monitor's not working or that guy's looking at me funny? Or... Yeah, no, I mean, you're more, you know, I just, I want to put on a good show. Yeah. I'm never like relishing this accomplishment. That... Yeah, letting it wash over no, you. And... not really. It's always I'm work. more about, I want to, yeah, I want to do my job. It's a job. Yeah. I mean, do you approach it that way? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's always like you said. Even bringing up the monitors. I mean, that's a never-ending <laughs> adventure. Yeah. Um, I'm not an in-ear guy. I may be the last. Yeah, you of don't the have... Mohicans. Interesting. Have you tried those things? Is that racist? Can I say the last of Mohicans? Shit. I, no, no. That's a legitimate. There really was that's a derogatory. Everyone loves Daniel Day Lewis. All right. I anyway, don't think mad. I. And the last, I'm the last. You're the last one. of your kind. Yes. You're the last dinosaur. And I may have hearing problems later, but uh, you still I just, I got to be there and I just feel like I'm not there. Do you feel, um, if I have any ears in, do you still feel excited then? I mean, do you still feel like this is all wild that it's happening or are you, are you a little bit more this many years into your career? Are you a little more? No, I think I still feel it? like I'm, I'm, st- I still I'm taken off guard sometimes and I'm surprised how many people keep coming to the gigs and the gigs keep getting better. Um, I don't know. I, I doing these new things, like doing the Sinatra thing, mm-hmm. you know, things like that keep me on my toes and, and reminds me of what it was like, you know, to be that uncomfortable and that have those kind of butterflies again. Yeah. You know, that's exciting. And when you hear something like, like, can't deny my love and you hear what you did with your mm-hmm. voice and with the songwriting on that i mean it's a very it's all of a piece of course but that's a totally different thing than mm-hmm. a lot of other songs that you've done and it and it works yeah no it's exciting when especially to, to the 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 idea of a new song and writing a great song will never i'll never be bored of the prospect of that do you can you turn off that part of your brain right now when you're in the middle of Right now, this album is just taking off. It won't be out for a couple of weeks. You know, when we're recording this, you're going home to spend some downtime with your family. But 
do you still have is it a constant itch oh yeah yeah <laughs> like sometime somewhere over Kansas you might start scribbling something or? yeah or it's or or it's sort of like um or I'm nervous that maybe the songs that I feel like are a little bit weightier on mm-hmm. this record aren't going to be known and so I think about that thinking about that right now like what songs am you know cuz you you pick these songs to be the face of the record like can't deny my love right but like I said, you know, maybe my two favorite are probably the more serious between me and you or the way it's always been. And I'm just wondering if people, you know, it's a new day where people aren't buying the whole record. And are right. people even going to know that I wrote these songs that I'm so proud of? I don't know. I hope they do. So you never, you never really relax. It never. I relax. Yeah, I relax. No, about these things. You, oh, you look yeah, like no. a relaxed guy. You don't seem that serious. No, yeah, no. Yeah, no. I, You're going to your brother-in-law's barbecue I think later. about it all the time. I think about it all the time. <laughs> you do. Um, the the killers, as we said, it's not you're not done. This is just a small no. We're break. playing in June in Delaware. Well, I mean, then you made. I mean, if you're playing June in Delaware, it's like springtime in Paris. And then uh, and we're doing a warm up gig in Atlantic City. So you're just going right back to just it after for this, these or? festivals. Then we're gonna do one in September, and then we'll be you know the communication is there, and we'll try to write. You don't. Is it is it daunting in any way to 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 go back into a killer's record cycle with that stuff in the back of your head about like radio stations dying and just this the whole industry no, thing? We're, I'm, we're lucky it? because we have the the sort of fan base. Uh, what's scarier about the rock radio dying would be, you know, a young band that's. That that listen to you know the classic that's a fan of great rock music. Um, it's strange you're going to have to adapt or something. So I don't know what, how you know you have to find a way to adapt to, to get it out there. I don't know. Yeah, well, it's different too because you you know I think we both came from a time when if you got a New Order record and you're like oh well, what's electronic oh what's electronic and what are the Smiths or vice versa you know you mm-hmm. found there was a sort of a natural path but now I everything's hated just the second electronic record I still remember terrible. I bought no but I had I yeah. liked it after though. Wait, what was the one that was like called Twisted? Was, it, was that the third one? That's that one third. Twisted Rasputin Tenderness. Under, Twisted Tenderness. That's that the one, third one. That wasn't that good. I'm not a fan of it, but the second one was called Raise the Pressure. I remember buying it, oh, and yeah. I I was so upset that I spent my money on it because I didn't like it. And yeah. and then years later, I I grew to really like it. Um, but even that, just the, the journey you're talking about with that record, I wonder if that's like an old-fashioned thing. Because if you haven't saved it, the record to your Spotify or whatever in not five, ten years, in five, ten minutes, you might not remember you ever heard it. I, I wonder if, they, if, yeah, if the, crazy. that path is different now. And I, I constantly go on about this stuff, and I'm sure if anyone's listening who's like under the age of 25, they think yeah. that two grandpas are upset yeah. about nothing. But <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, it's just it's a whole new experience. And like I said, yeah, people are just going to have to figure out how to. You can't sit there and yeah, like you said, you can't sit there and complain about it. Or like when I hear people talking about vinyl, like it's yeah. so special. I know it's great. But what are we going to do? You're not going to like make people just – everybody sell vinyl again. It's, it's not going to happen. That's not what Jack White thinks. No, it's not. I mean, you know, it's and it's good to hold on to those things. And I do that, you know, and I romanticize some things myself. But I also know that, you know, the, it's ha- you know, the future's happening and you have to somehow, you know, it ain't 1965. No matter what we do, it's not. No, and – if it were, here's my final segue. If it were, you wouldn't be able to buy the desired effect, your new solo album, on any format. <laughs> 2015. 2015 only. Um, desired effect out on Island Records, May 19th. May basically 18th. on your birthday. More or less on my birthday. <laughs> Thank you for thinking of me All with right. that great gift. It's a terrific record. And Brandon, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. Thanks. Thanks.
Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on Podcasts.